0: Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together
1: business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening. And now onto today's show.
0: Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs podcast mini series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been
1: created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hello and welcome everybody my name is Eugenia Prattley, and I'm part of the HSBC team working really hard behind the scenes to help bring you this incredible series of female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you and I'm absolutely delighted today to say that we are joined by Crystal Pang the founder and CEO of Pickup. Crystal welcome. Hi Eugenia, hi everyone really happy to be here. So. I just want to set the scene a little for those of you who may not realize the extent of the impact and achievements of pickup in such a short amount of time so crystals actually founded pickup in 2016 so not too long ago actually really short time in that time she's been able to raise 57 million dollars in funding going right through to a series b which she closed at the end of last year and expanded across four different countries which is absolutely phenomenal So just that much money, raising or up to a series B and only starting the company in 2016 is absolutely phenomenal amount of growth. And one that I think is a lot of lessons to be held, one that we don't hear about every day. And I think it's a real privilege for us to sit here and get to learn from you, Crystal, about your story and your journey. How about we start at the beginning? What is Pickup? Where did you get the idea for it? And how did this whole journey begin for you?
1: Pickup is, as I've always put it, we are a data-driven company. We're a tech company, but just so happens to fall into a logistics sector. That's how I always frame it because I always get this question of, oh, are you a logistics company or are you a tech company? I think what we're trying to solve here is one data transparency. I think there's like a lack of data transparency in the supply chain and logistics sector. So what we're doing here is to empower businesses. We want to build what we call an open, efficient, and holistic network so that when we interface with enterprises, they will be able to simplify some very complex supply chain needs because these are evolving as well. You can imagine um, maybe back then when there's only B2B or there's just retail outlets, things can be just dropped off pretty easily in a retail in the retail store. But now people are shopping and the needs are evolving as well. Mm. So they want things immediately back then you don't have like food deliveries or back then you don't think about like grocery deliveries or even temperature control deliveries. Even nowadays you have social sellers on Instagram or TikTok, all of a sudden you're an individual and you can be a merchant as well. And not only that you're selling within your city, all of a sudden you can be selling pallets of, I don't know, like yoga mats, and then it will be sending to South Africa or going to US. So all of a sudden, you are facing this really enormous supply chain question: where to find women, where to find freight, where to find local transport. So, pickup is really trying to piece all these together without owning all these resources. We try to solve this cost, this flexibility, and also traceability for clients. So, that's what pickup is trying to do, and this idea came about when I was at Uber, um, <laughs> the previous my previous job. I was running, I was an operations manager and one of the very early launch team members in Hong Kong. I realized that transportation is one type of network, but it's not as difficult because people can still hail a car and then try to get on a car. If something happens, you can still scream for help. But, imagine parcels can talk and then and sometimes parcels comes in different types different sizes it can be something frozen it can be like something as big as a mattress so even what vehicles can help you move these things or whether they have to get on a plane or get on a boat it's all very difficult to optimize so i think being an engineer at heart because for people who don't don't know i i was not born to do logistics i i started out as a software engineer and I was an engineer in Boston for three three years before coming back to Hong Kong. So it's a very intriguing question. And I think it's very complex, very difficult, but it also brings a lot of satisfaction when it's working or when you see the impact.
0: And was there a light bulb moment for you where you were like, this is a real like a real problem that needs to be solved or is it something that sort of. You kept coming up against time and time again and thought, oh, there
1: might be something in this. It was not very easy to spot, but it's a repeating question. I think the way you put it is exactly that. We keep running into people asking us back then at Ubers, like, can you send this? I just need the driver, but can they get off? Can they can I come up to my house to pick this up? Or they come, they've all sorts of different requests. And I think it all stems from supply chain issues being not homogeneous. Yeah. So that's why it's coming up again and again. And then you know, with this engineering background, I keep thinking about, okay, this is like a very complex equation with a lot of different <laughs> variables. And it also seems the market out there, when people think about logistics startups or how do you tackle logistics, uh, people solve the problem by building another network on top instead mm. of utilizing what's already available. So maybe just to give an example, the oldest running logistics network that no one can dispute and it's always been around is the postal service. You're not yeah. going to say, I will replace a postal service. Things will get there. It's just that the postal service is a bit limiting because you can only send letters or small parcels and you cannot control the speed. But when people say, oh, I want to have other alternatives, they start re- they start replicating and build another network on top by building their own warehouse and own fleet and own vehicles. So then you have a lot of duplicating resources built on top of one another, creating traffic problems, congestion problems, underutilized warehouses. I think that that's the moment when I see there's no lack of warehouse or transportation companies out there. There's just no good system understanding what's available what's the next best or next fastest option and what is the cheapest option out there no one is doing this calculation and giving it back yeah. to the businesses that's phenomenal because what because i think
0: that and you said at the beginning the biggest issue with logistics and transportation all of this is it's transparency it's so hard to know what's out there and if you are a social seller on instagram or tiktok or whatever or you just run a small store or you run a yoga mat company you don't often have a natural way in to understanding this world either, particularly in the very traditional way that it's been set up and a very fragmented way as well. Because when you talk about networks upon networks, it starts to get very fragmented. And so that that sort of, that lack of transparency just increases, right? It becomes even more complex to try and find your way around. So I think clearly it's not just me who thinks you've hit an ingenious idea here because all of your investors and your customers And your merchants all also think you've hit on an absolute genius idea and then you've brought it to life which is phenomenal i i want to now take that step of you're starting to disrupt you've got this idea to disrupt this whole industry that we've just mentioned is complex it's old and it's very limited right in its ability to connect beyond borders as well there's it's a lot harder to do that so when you started pickup but you're very fortunate that you have this software engineering background so that Mm -hmm. comes naturally But what you don't necessarily have is a logistics background. How did you start your way in disrupting this and selling your story to others to help build what has become
1: pickup today? I I cannot agree more that convincing or trying to sell this idea to someone who's been in the logistics business for decades um, may not be as easy as it seems. It takes a lot of convincing. Obviously, you you need to be shameless. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's almost like, you know, when you sell something, first of all, you need to believe in it. You need to sell this dream, even though you're not there yet. You need to... Just keep telling people why you believe in it. I think there's some sort of you need to have the confidence in yourself, and, and it will, if people can see through you as well, right? Whether you're just doing a sales pitch mechanically or you truly believe in something, the first 20, 30, or even like the first 100 pitches to merchants has is difficult. And mm. talking about someone who's very seasoned to convince them that you do not need to invest in any capital expenditures, (laughs) but you will still able be, you still solve the problem. I think it, it does take someone with an open mind. So not only that you need to keep doing it persistently and be shameless about it, you also need to pinpoint who within these group of people are more likely to embrace change. And once you spot these people who are decision makers, Um, you try to show them what things can be like. So if you can move one person, then slowly you will have another follower and, once you start to have a track record, then it would be much easier for the third or the fourth or the fifth to come on board. I
0: think that's a that's a really interesting point there. The fact that you did have to go through so many, I'm going to, I'm going to assume there were no's. You heard a lot of those in the beginning to to try to get through to the one person who like, okay, I get it. I get where you're going with this. What were the top qualities that you looked for when you were meeting with VCs and investors? Because you've got some really good names on your board, don't you? We've got Swire, for example, here in, in Hong Kong and Asia. The, They're a phenomenal name. You've got Drive Catalyst on there, Reef Knot. So some really impressive names there.
1: What were you looking for? A lot of times startups feel like it's almost a very one-way relationship. It's whether like this investor just want to say yes or no, and they drive everything. But I see it as more like a partnership and not only, obviously, financial, financial assistance is one thing, but you also want the investor to really understand what you're trying to achieve. And what is the longer term vision? Because there will be some investors out there where they just want to drive short-term gains. When they start seeing all startups to be like, they can all be the same. And it's, you're just like the the probability is almost all the same. And it's all about just the price and just about the valuation. I think I would try to avoid this type of investors. When I speak to them, I do want to see the resonance and that they can see how painful the problem is and what we are able to do. And obviously, we need to hold ourselves accountable as well, right? When we say we will do something, that that's part of the investor relations management that will really show them how this is done. And I think this will foster like a better relationship with the VC and with the investors as well. So they need to they need to understand the problem. And they also need to be patient. I, th- I think that's the that's what I would look for.
0: I've really le- like that is I've never heard someone say that before that they're looking for patience and they're looking for a long-term view. I think it's I think it's really inspiring that you had such a clear definition of what you wanted in an investor and in a partner because we often hear it from founders as they're like, "I want any investor. I'll take anyone, but actually, taking that time and holding up those values is probably going to serve you to be more in the, in the long-term future as well.
1: Yeah. And then I think it has to do with the sector where we're in, because the logistics sector is not like something that, it's created from nothing. It has been around for, for a long time. And the way pickup disrupt this sector is trying to digitalize a lot of these people. And we're trying to integrate with multiple partners because this network cannot be built alone. At least that's what we believe that we need to collaborate with a lot of parties. If you want to drive price and drive flexibility and drive speed all at the same time, something's got to give, which is collaboration and crowdsourcing. So to do that, it will not be something that just happened overnight. From the
0: beginning of, okay, we've launched and now slowly getting customers. And now, as I said, you're in four different countries. How did you do that? And at what were the points where you knew we need to go up, we need to go bigger? And then final question onto that is, is how did you do that? Was it a, I'm guessing a very fine balancing act between investing in headcount and investing in development and expansion? I'm imagining that was a question that you probably asked yourself numerous times.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think every entrepreneur will at some point run into questions like this. When we started Pickup, we did not have a product. Product did not exist basically we went out with just one question like we said why don't we go out talk to 30 clients and then ask them this question if we, if you are given a service that is not delivered in two days and also not delivered in one hour is somewhere in between in terms of pricing we'll also price you somewhere in between <laughs> the one hour and then the, the two days are you willing to pay this price and will you deliver with me if I can commit to the service and price. So that's how we started pick up because we do believe like the optimization can be can be anywhere in between. But we mm-hmm. don't at that time there's no product. When you start realizing things scale, it, it almost feels very natural, like there's like a push from the back. It's when like people will start committing and say, yes. I never, I, I don't believe in a perfect product. And then you will find your customers. It's always like a balance. Like you you try to go out, you try to run more agile style. Like you figure out what people want, you go back and try to give them something preliminary, try to test the waters. If it works, then you will see the buy-in. So the, the, scale, the scaling effect will kick in almost like naturally. And then, and that's the time when you realize, okay, certain things can be productized, certain things, should not be productized because there's no that that there's no uptick or there's no one no one saying yes to it. There's no set rules, but but I would caution all entrepreneurs like that there's no such thing of this perfect thing that you can just create and wait until you you are ready to roll out. We've always been very scrappy. Like we we'll almost have release every week and things that get changed like every hotfix like every day. So that, <laughs> yeah but that's the spirit
0: i love it i because you're living the ethos of progress not perfection keep going talking about sort of the product and having to do that balancing act of product versus people and building a team it's often a challenge that we hear from the founders that we speak to is that building a team around them is one of the hardest components any learnings that you can share from managing and leading a team Through a pandemic, I'm going to throw an extra layer onto that. It is also about leading a team across different markets as well. How do you manage that? And do you have any sort of insights into corporate culture that you can share with us?
1: People management is always the most difficult part. And uh, maybe because I was an engineer, so I'd much rather just look at the codes than have to deal with issues. But it's important. I think that's the secret sauce is that you need to over-communicate when you have people from different markets. And also during a pandemic, people work from home. What I realize, and I think it is true, that it's not the person who has the highest IQ that will, who will be very successful, right? It's the person who can get a team surrounding, supporting him or her, being able to get these people to share this common goal and have buy-in on the vision so that you're executing as a team. That's when you can really have this like scalable or something a bit, then you can um, multiply this impact. So during the pandemic, I think it's particularly difficult because there are a lot of people with mental issues when you're always at home and you're not your team members i noticed that and um and we also encourage people to try going back to work a bit more often not because we want you to commute we just need you to check in and check out like actually like we would we, we never do that but i think it's more for us being we're so social animals. Like we still want you to have this other setting outside of home. You have this kind of bonding, and just just now I also mentioned over communicate. I think this is something people tend to take it for granted. That sometimes when you say I would love for you to do something, maybe you just assume they understand the why. But as you grow the team, you'll feel like when you're for 50 people team, you probably don't need to over communicate that much because these people are your close friends or it's a very close circle. But when you're managing like a 200, 300 people team, then you just you just cannot assume anymore. You need to deliver the message a lot more. I think that
0: it's really powerful to hear about because if we all reflect and particularly us here in, in Hong Kong. We had it really tough during the pandemic and it was incredibly isolating as well. So I want to now, if we can, just get some do's and don'ts from you on that pitching process. So confidence is number one, really believing in yourself. we have got that. What else would you say is a must do and what is a do not or avoid if you can?
1: I would say be genuine. At the end of the day, investors, they know they are Make a gamble. In the VCs in the VC world, like when sometimes when you're pre-revenue, mm-hmm. they, what can what can they measure? It's really looking at you as the the person. Do they trust you? Do they believe that you will be the person to turn the company to something big? So it's almost like that you are in the interview and you're interviewing with them, the founder and the team. Being genuine is definitely. One thing VC investors will look at because when things do go south, things get challenging. You need to be the one who will tell them that I'm sticking around and I'll steer this company and back on the right track. You cannot be someone who who said I'm just going to say bye and (laughs) I'll find another job and then we'll try to get a quick exit. Be being authentic and be able to make sure this message gets through to the investor to me i think it's super important
0: i like that and what's what so i think that's a really good point there about they're investing in you particularly if you're pre-revenue so it couldn't be to me that sounds terrifying but also incredibly empowering at the same time so a real mix there of of what it must be like (laughs) to go through that process but now what about the don'ts what should you in your experience, what would you advise people to avoid doing in, in that journey?
1: What not to do? For, first of all, don't answer like some don't make up your answers. If you don't know something, just say you don't know. You will look it up, ah. you will, yeah. Don't pretend that you know everything. I think that really destroy trust. And don't, I think, try to give people the sense that, you know, you are, you are the do it all. You're the almighty. I think what investors look for is someone who is able to lead and delegate and manage, that means you will not be the person doing everything. There's no need to tell people that I can code, I can market, I can do this. I can do that. I mean, I, I can do everything. That's not how, yes, they're investing in you, but they're investing in a person who can likely create a bigger team and manage and run the company in the long run. So don't try to tell them that you're the superman.
0: Brilliant. I've never heard anyone say either of those two things before, but you're absolutely right. You can imagine that immediately destroying an interview and you could see that there's just too much risk on one person trying to have all the jobs in the company. That's clearly never going to succeed. Really interesting points there. It's really clear from your story today that people and developing the right culture has really been a key to your success and that is something that I think we all benefit from in our careers is having a workplace whether it's one that you're leading or one that you're a part of that values people so thank you so much and just a huge thank you from us at HSBC for taking the time out to share your story with us today and thank you so much for being a part of the HSBC female entrepreneur series
1: yeah. Thanks, Eugenia. And thanks, everyone. It's really like amazing. I, I, I'm really glad that I'm, I can be a guest here.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a good day. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to
0: Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast miniseries dedicated
1: to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.